0: But this portion right here in hebrews chapter 13 verse 5 has brought comfort to so many hearts hebrews chapter 13 verse 5 it says let your conversation be without covetousness and be content with such things as you have for he has said i will never leave thee nor forsake thee let's pray heavenly father how we thank you tonight for the comfort that thy word brings lord i thank you tonight that we can know you through the person of the lord jesus christ lord we don't want a religion a religion that's that's dead and trying to please ourselves and lord not please you father i pray tonight that we'd realize the relationship that we have with you is a wonderful thing lord we thank you for jesus who made it all possible and lord we do look forward to seeing you and he one day. God, I pray tonight that as we open your word once again, that your spirit would speak. May that sweet, gentle voice of the Holy Spirit come down upon this place. And Lord, may we be attentive to your words. Lord, I think tonight of the priests as they're there in the Ukraine. God, I pray for them tonight. I pray, God, that you protect them and the church that they have there. God, I pray that you do a great work and that the gospel of Jesus Christ might go forth. Even in the midst of all this trouble. We thank you, Lord, for what you're going to do. I pray, God, you give me your words tonight. In Jesus' name I pray. Amen. You may remember times when you were growing up that something caused you to be afraid. You immediately ran to one of your parents and, and all of a sudden you felt safe, you felt comfort, you felt secure. You felt that you'd be able to that they would be able to take care of any situation that you were in. You know, as Christians, we have someone to run to when we are afraid. Someone who cares and understands. No matter what we go through, there is someone who understands your deepest thoughts, your deepest cares. That person is the Lord Jesus Christ. What a confidence we have because of Christ. What a God we serve. What a boldness it instills in the believer who realizes that if God be for us, who can be against us? As we look at this portion of scripture tonight with the title of the message, A God Who Never Lets Us Go. A God Who Never Lets Us Go. When we receive Jesus Christ as our Savior, we're in His hand. We're safe forevermore. I want you to see as we look at this portion of scripture that God's presence in the life of the saint is not dependent upon our possessions. Isn't that a blessing? God's presence in our life it's not dependent upon how much we have materialistically. Here in this Hebrews chapter 13, verse number 5, he says this, Let your conversation be without covetousness, and be content with such things that you have. For he has said, I will never leave thee nor forsake thee. That word conversation here, it's the Greek idea of manner of living. Let your manner of living be without covetousness. Our life as a Christian ought not to be a life of covetousness. We, we don't usually tend to use that word a lot in, in our daily thinking, in our daily mindset, because covetousness is so much a part of our life. You say, well, how can you tell that? Well, all you have to do is look at the commercials on TV or on radio. And they show you something and they say, you know what, you need this. Or this will really help you. This This will make you feel really good. That's covetousness. We are surrounded by covetousness in our society. Our life as a Christian is not to be a life of covetousness, wanting what someone else has. I want or I need, trying to get more and more things. Can I share with you? There's no peace in striving to get more, there's no peace. You say, well, how can you say that, Pastor Walker? Because when you got what you have, you're always going to want more. The Bible says if you have silver and you're striving for silver, you won't be content with silver. You're going to want more in your life. You're going to want more things. The Bible says our attitude is to be content with that which we have. Some people in Paul's day had the idea that the more material goods that you had, the more, uh, the, the, uh, the more godly you were. Turn with me to 1 Timothy. Keep your finger here, but go to 1 Timothy just to the left a little bit. 1 Timothy chapter 6. 1 Timothy chapter number 6. You say, Pastor, I look at at different people and I look at different speakers that that speak on uh, the Christian speakers and uh, whether they be preachers or, or those different folk. You say, look at all the wealth, look at all the things they've got. They must be right with God. Well, that was the same mindset that some of these people in Paul's day had. The Bible says in First Timothy chapter 6, verse 3, and Paul says, If any man teach otherwise, and consent not to wholesome words, even the words of our Lord Jesus Christ, and to the doctrine which is according to godliness, he is proud, knowing nothing but doting about questions and strifes of words, whereof cometh envy and strife and railings and evil surmisings, uh, perverse disputings of men of corrupt minds and destitute of the truth. Supposing that gain is godliness. Can I tell you tonight that Satan can help you to have lots of gain? He can give you gain. Remember when he took Jesus up on the mount and he said, I'll give you all the kingdoms of the world? He says, all you got to do is fall down and worship me. What Satan was proposing was evil. Jesus already had all those kingdoms. He's the, he's the king of kings and Lord of Lords. He left glory with all of the, the wonder of glory. He gave that up. He just down to come down to earth to die for us. Here in this portion of scripture, as we think of this, this portion he says, supposing that gain is godliness from such withdraw thyself but godliness with contentment is great gain god's views are different than the world's views are they not the church today has adopted the world's views it's taken the mindset of the world and And what the world is saying about prosperity. And if you're you're prosperous, then God's in it. No matter what it may be, no matter what the direction, if you're prosperous, God's got to be in it. Well, there is a God, small g, in it. We call it prosperity thinking. The world's philosophy, the one who has the most toys, wins. That's not what God says. Some might say, well, what about what about the future? How, how how many have seen their fortunes just vanish in a moment of time? I mean, you you lay up your 401ks and you get it all organized and all of a sudden a decision in the stock market or whatever and it's all gone. I think back in the nineteen twenties when they had the Great Nineteen Twenty Nine, when they had the Great Depression and people had been living for wealth and when the, the Great Depression happened. People, when they lost it all, lost all their wealth, they would jump. They were jumping out of buildings. They even did it here in California when they were having all these financial things. People were jumping out of buildings. Their wealth was gone. So what is there to live for? Oh, folks, don't you understand? This stuff is all temporal. But there is something that's eternal that lives on forever. God's people and God's principle here is, I will never leave thee nor forsake thee. If you lose everything, God will never leave you. Consider, look at Matthew chapter 6 and verse 25. Such a wonderful portion. Matthew chapter 6. Matthew chapter 6, verse 25. Matthew 6, verse 25. Jesus is speaking speaking here. He says, therefore I say unto you, take no thought for your life. What, sh- what you shall eat or what you shall drink, nor yet for your body what you shall put on. Is not your, the life more than, uh, more than meat, and the body than raiment? Behold the fowls of the air, for they sow not, neither do they reap, nor gather into barns, yet you, your heavenly Father feedeth them. Are you not much better than they? Which of you, by taking thought, can add one cubit, unto his stature. Now, you folks, you know what? You want to grow another foot. Well, let's see. I'm, I'm going to, you know, this is just telling you here how stupid evolution is. Because evolution says, you know what? I need to blend in with my environment. So I'm going to change my color as a butterfly, the peppered moth. You know, it went from black to white and so forth. And I, I'm going to do that. You don't have the power to do that. And God's saying, how ridiculous is that? You know, if you're short uh, or vertically challenged, I think is what they call it, vertically challenged, you know, I'm going to force myself. I mean, even if you put yourself on a rack, it's not going to help. You can't do it. But may I share with you, God is just trying to help you to understand some things about this life, about the importance of this life. He says, um, you can't which of you, by taking thought, can add a one cubit unto his stature. And why take ye thought for raiment? Your clothes? Consider the lilies of the field, how they, they grow. They toil not, neither do they spin. And yet I say unto you that even Solomon, in all of his glory, was not arrayed like one of these. Wherefore, if God so clothed the grass of the field, which today is and tomorrow is cast into the oven? Shall he not much more clothe you, O ye of little faith? Therefore take no thought, saying, What shall we eat, or what shall we drink, or, or wherewithal shall we be clothed? For after all these things do the Gentiles seek, the unbelievers. For your heavenly Father knoweth that ye have need of all these things, but seek ye first the kingdom of God and his righteousness and all these things shall be added unto you. You, know, you see here in this portion of Scripture, God's perspective for us as Christians. We're to seek first God's work, to seek first the things that please God. That's what we're supposed to seek. We're not to seek about the food and the clothing and, and all that stuff. That's not to be our number one thought. Yeah, we have those thoughts in, as we live in this world, but may I share with you, hey, if we will put God first, God will take care of all the other things. But you know what happens is we just put the things in God's place, and they become our God. And when those things become our God, can I tell you something? You're, you're in bad shape. You're going to realize God can take it all away and to get you to that place where you finally will look up to Him, and you have no other recourse than to look to Him, just so He can prove to you that He is God. He's God. Notice what happens to those who fail to put God first in their life and they simply live for themselves. Oh, we've got a lot of people that are doing that today, even Christians. Go with me to the book of Haggai. Book of Haggai, Old Testament, one of the Old Testament minor prophets. Jonah, Micah, Nahum, Habakkuk. Zephaniah, and then right after Zephaniah is Haggai, in between the two Z's, Haggai. Haggai chapter 1 and verse number 2, the prophet Haggai is writing to the people, and he shares some truth that God has shared with him. He says, Thus speaketh the Lord of hosts, verse 2, saying, This people say, The time has not come, the time that the Lord's house should be built. The people were saying, it's not time to do God's will. It's not time to work for God. It's not time for that. It's, it, it, there's something else that's more important than God and living and working for God. Something else is more important. Now notice what he says. Then came the word of the Lord by Haggai the prophet, saying, Is it time for you, O ye, to dwell in the, the sealed houses and, and this house is lie waste, God's house lie waste? Now therefore, thus consider, uh, saith the Lord of hosts, consider your ways, consider what's going on. And I'm here today to tell you, you need to read this portion of Scripture to understand when we get our priorities all whacked out and we're wrong and we put other things in God's place, he begins to tell you, it's a warning from God as it was for these people because this is what was happening to these people. He says... Consider your ways, verse 5. Verse 6, you have sown much, and you do what? Bring in little. You say, well, pastor, what does that mean? Huh. Well, you go out in your garden, and you sow a lot of seed out there, and you put a lot of it in there, and when it comes time for harvest, what happens? You get a little bit. Can I tell you something? God has control of that. God has control of that. Notice what he goes on to say. "Ye eat, but you have not enough." Interesting. Ye drink, but you're not filled with drink. Ye clothe you, but there is none warm. Boy, you've got clothes on, and, 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 but you're not warm. Can I tell you? God is trying to tell us that all these things that he, Jesus had said over there in Matthew are, God will take care of this stuff, but if you get out of the wrong, in the wrong priority, can I tell you something? Your life is going to be empty and you're going to have problems. And you're going to be in need and in want, and no matter what you try to do, you will not outdo God. Because He's still in control. He says, Ye clothe you, but there's none warm. And and he that earneth wages, earneth wages to be to put it into a bag with holes. Wow. Thus saith the Lord of hosts. Consider your ways, go up to the mountain, and bring wood, and build the house, and I will take pleasure in it, and I will be glorified, saith the Lord. Ye look for much, and lo, it came to little. And when ye brought it home, I did blow upon it. Why, saith the Lord of hosts? Because of mine house that is waste, and ye run every man unto his own house. Therefore, the heaven over you is stayed from dew and the earth is stayed from her fruit. And I called for a drought upon the land and upon the mountains and upon the corn and upon the new wine and upon oil and upon that which the ground bringeth forth and upon men and upon the cattle and upon all that labor of the hands. Then Zerubbabel, the son of Shealtiel and Joshua, the son of Josedek, the high priest, with all the remnant of the people, obeyed the voice of the Lord their God the words of Haggai the prophet, as the Lord their God had sent him. And the people did fear before the Lord. Then spake Haggai, the Lord's messengers, and the Lord's message unto the people, saying, I am with you, saith the Lord. And the Lord stirred up the spirit of Zerubbabel, the son of Shatiel, the governor of Judah, and the spirit of Joshua, the son of Josedek, the high priest, and the spirit of all the remnant of the people. And they came and they did the work in the house of the Lord of hosts, their God. May I share with you that what we see in Haggai's scripture here is that the priorities of our life need to be right. We're to be living for the Lord. Your life and my life is not about ourselves and what we can get out of this life, it's about living for Jesus. Living for Jesus. How much do you think about living for Jesus? You say, well, pastor, my co-workers, they're, they're, they're talking about this over here. If they're not saved, they don't even have the same mindset. They don't have the same understanding. Why are you allowing your coworkers and those that are around you and even in your family to, to take you away from the things of God? They're going to take you down a path just like Haggai did or Haggai was talking about here. When we put the Lord first in our life and follow his word, he has given us promises that we can claim. He says, I will never leave thee nor forsake thee. When you put God first and you live for him, as Jesus said in Matthew 6, 33, seek ye first the kingdom of God and his righteousness. And if you're doing that, folks, may I share with you? Don't say, well, pastor, what are you trying to say? If you're doing it, that's great, that's wonderful. That's what we all need to do. But we all aren't doing that because we put other things in God's place. God says, I will never leave you nor forsake you. You put God first. Well, if I put God first, I won't have time to do all the other things in life that I think are important. Can I tell you something? You can't do anything better than to do what the Lord wants you to do and to do his will. Philippians 4.19 says, But my God shall supply all your need according to his riches in glory by Christ Jesus. In the late 1800s, George Mueller operated an orphanage which at one time fed over 2,000 children in England. 2,000. One morning there was no food, there was no milk, and yet George Mueller called all the children together and they sat down and said, we're going to give thanks. He called all the staff in and said, we're going to give thanks for the food that God's going to provide. Can you imagine a table with all that, those kids sitting, and you said it. Well, when kids kids are growing, bam, they just eat food like it's going out of style. And he bows his head and he begins to pray. And he begins to thank the Lord. For the food that God is going to, God is providing for us to eat. Could you imagine the eyes? You know how the kids are; their eyes are like this. What? What food? I don't see no food. We've got plates on the table. We got silverware on the table. We have no food. All of a sudden, they heard a knock on a door, and the baker of the town came and he said, "You know what? God laid on my heart to bake some bread and bring it to the orphanage today. Could you use that?" And while the bread was being brought out to the children and, and put on the plates and the different things, all of a sudden there was a, another knock on the door. And the, the milkman, his, his, his uh, horse and carriage, his, it had broken down outside. He said, I've got all this milk and stuff. Can, do you think you could use it here at the orphanage? Can I tell you something? That we have a God who can do the impossible. God can do the impossible. His book, that book dealing with George Mueller's in our bookstore, let me encourage you. You want your faith to be challenged? That was a man who lived by faith. If we should should lose everything and be as poor as church mice, the Lord will still be with us. He says, I will never leave thee nor forsake thee. I think of the poor widow woman who gave her two mites in Mark chapter 12 verse 42 through 44. The Bible says she gave all two mites which was a farthing. It wasn't even a full cent. And Jesus had been watching all the people that brought their money and put it in the treasury and put it in the in the, in the treasury as they're going through, and Jesus, I mean, there's people, you know how some people are, they want people to know how much they give. They pull out, you know, their wallet, and they, they start going through the, like this, and they, you know, the, the big dollar bills, so that everybody can see. You say, Pastor, do people do that? I've seen them. To impress those people that are around. God says we're not to let our right hand know what our left hand is doing. Because the God, in, God who sees in secret will reward you openly. And here this widow, she just puts in her two mites. You say, well, goodness, what's two mites do for the work of God? Jesus says, well, let me just tell you, here's my perspective. This is our Savior. Jesus said, this little widow who gave two, two uh, mites, which is a, uh, less than a farthing, says, you know what, she gave more than all those people because they gave out of their abundance, but she gave all. Say, Pastor, you know, when I I, I tithe, you know, I don't I, I don't tithe. I don't have a lot of money to tithe. You know, but God is looking on your heart. God is looking, are you faithful in your tithe? It may not seem like much to you, but I'm telling you there's a God who sees and who notices the tithe. I think of Lazarus and Luke sixteen nineteen through thirty one, the Lazarus who was called a beggar, and he sat at the rich man's table and who fared sumptuously every day. That little beggar that was there—can I tell you, as you look at at Lazarus, he was a rich man because he had the Lord. That's why that day when he died, or the day that he died, he went to be with the Lord. In, uh, he went to be with uh, with the Lord in paradise. Folks, may I share with you today. You may not have much, but your God is not with you because you've got a lot of things. Turn with me to Romans chapter 8 and verse 35. Romans chapter 8 verse 35. Paul writes one of the sweetest and most precious portions of scripture, I think, here in this portion, Romans 8:35. shall be able to separate us from the love of God, which is in Christ Jesus, our Lord. Don't you realize the sweet spot you have in, the, in the, the hand of God? No one can separate us. The Lord has promised, I will never leave thee nor forsake thee. He says, I'll never let you go. I'll never let you go. So notice the second point that we see back in Hebrews thirteen five that God will never leave us, when we seem to be too far gone go back there to hebrews 13:5 he says let your conversation be without covetousness and be content with such things as you have for he for he, ha, uh, for he hath said i will never leave thee nor forsake thee in this portion god uses five negatives in the greek in this little phrase i will never leave thee nor forsake thee the word never is the greek word ou, or two greek words oo may oo may say it with me oo may you say oo may i just you just now learned another language who may translate it means never no 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 never You say, well, Pastor, is there ever another time when you talk about this word ume as used in the scriptures? Oh, yeah, several times. Let's look at it. Look at John chapter 10, verse 27. John 10, verse 27. John chapter 10, verse number 27. Jesus is speaking here. He's been talking about the fact he's the door. He's the good shepherd. John chapter 10, verse number 27. He says, my sheep hear my voice. And I know them and they follow me and I give unto them eternal life. Notice. And they shall what? Never. Here's that word. Ume. Those two words. Ume. One means. oo means no or not. When you. And both of them mean no or not. But when you put them both together, it means. Never, no, never, no, never. So look what he says. I give unto them eternal life, and they shall umay. Never, no, 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 never perish. Neither shall any man pluck him out of my hand. My Father which gave them uh, me is greater than all, and no man is able to pluck him out of my hand. How can a person say you can lose your salvation when God says umay? You can never, no, never, no, never, no, never, no, never perish. That sounds like it's pretty, you're going to have eternal life, life without end. It's more than that. It is certain. Look at John chapter 11, verse 25. John chapter 11, verse 25. Jesus has come to his, the home of his friend, Lazarus, who has died. And remember, the, the, some people had come and said, hey, Lazarus, your friend is sick. And Jesus heard it, and he waited a few days, and then he said, "It's time for us to go and and wake up Lazarus." And the, and the disciples they said, "Well, you know, if he's sleeping, that's good. You know, it, it's good for him to take a nap." Now Jesus said, "No, you don't understand. He's dead, and I'm going to go that I might raise him back to life." Here Jesus goes, and he's talking to Martha, who comes when he when she hears that he's come to her, and uh, Jesus now is talking to her, and he says. He said uh, in this portion of Scripture, um, "Give me here in chapter 11, 25, Jesus said unto her, I am the resurrection and the life. He that believeth in me, though he were dead, yet shall he live. And whosoever liveth and believeth in me shall what? Never die. Same words. Who You're never going to never know, never know. He that believeth in him, He's the resurrection and the life. You will never, no, never, no, never, no, never die. Look at Second Peter chapter one, verse five. First, Second P- Peter chapter one. You're in Hebrews there, and go, just go to the right of that. Second Peter chapter one, verse five. He's talked about he's talking here in this portion about how God's given us all things that pertain unto life and godliness. In Second Peter chapter one, verse five, he says, And besides this, giving all diligence, add to your faith virtue and virtue knowledge, and to knowledge temperance, and to temperance, patience, and to patience godliness, <clears throat> and to godliness, brotherly kindness, and to brotherly kindness, charity or love. For if these things be in you and abound, they make you that ye shall neither be barren nor unfruitful in the knowledge of our Lord Jesus Christ. As we're looking at this portion, keep on going. But he that lacketh these things is blind and cannot see afar off and hath forgotten that he was purged from his old sins. Wherefore, the rather brethren, give diligence to make your calling and election sure. For if ye do these things, ye shall never want fall that word never is that greek word who may if you will add to your faith that saving faith you add to that you supply to your faith you add to it virtue which is godly excellence moral excellence and add and you and you uh, add to that virtue knowledge knowledge of what well i'm going to just cram my mind with all the knowledge of this world well that's not what the knowledge he's talking about He's talking about the knowledge of God. You add to your life, your faith, that faith. I believe Jesus died on a cross and and loved me and saved me from my sins. And I'm, I'm turning from my sin. I'm living. I want to live for him and follow in his steps. And his steps are righteousness and holiness. I'm going to follow in that direction. I need the knowledge of God's word to help me and, 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 to, and of temperance, self-control, and patience in my life. And to add to, to my life patience, not only patience, but I need godliness, godlikeness. God, I want you to shine forth through my life. And godliness, brotherly kindness, to be kind one to another and the brotherly kindness, love. If you have these things in you, and you're, God is working in there, God says you will not fall. He says you will not. You will never, no never, no never fall. But the problem is, we don't supply these. If we don't supply these things to our life, if we don't ask the Spirit of God to work and, and, and produce these things in our life, can I tell you something? You will fall. God's already given us the potential not to fall. It's our choice whether we will yield to the Lord and do his will, or we will do our own will. God says back in Hebrews 13 and 5, I will never, no, never, no, never, no, never leave thee. You say, well, Pastor, what's that leave me thing? What, is that? what does that mean? Well, that word leave me, if you go back to Hebrews 13.5, it says, I will never leave thee. That word leave me means to send back, to give up, not to uphold, to let to sink. Have you ever gotten a Christmas or a birthday present and maybe it's for, the, for your children, and you've opened up the box and you think, boy, the kids are really going to love this, and you start, you, know, you start putting it together and there's some parts missing? I don't know if you've ever had that problem, I have. And so you go and you say, well, let's see. Do I want to wait in those long lines at Walmart and go through all that process, or just I want to just throw it away? And uh, you know, maybe I might they might re, they might give me something else, but or should I just throw it away and just kind of move on with my life? Well, that's this idea here. God says, you know what? I'm not gonna leave you, I'm not going to send you back, I'm not gonna give you up. Because you're defective. You've got issues. How many of us don't have issues? Hmm. You know, somebody said, please be patient. God is not finished with me yet. He's got a long way to go with some of us, doesn't he? And praise God, in Philippians 1.6, it says, He that hath begun a good work in you will perform it till the day of Jesus Christ. He's never going to give up on us. Hebrews 13.5 tells us that God will never, no never, no never look at us and say, this person is too much of a mess. I can't do anything with them. Send them back to their lost state. God will never say that to you. Now, sometimes we may feel like that. Today, dear Christian, may you, you may have messed up in your life and done things that you know do not please the Lord, but God will never give you up. I will never leave you. When we sin, God doesn't sit us outside while excuse me, when we sin, God doesn't sit outside while we go in and sin. We take God with us because He remains inside us. The Spirit of God remains inside us forever. How can we continue offending someone? that loves us like the Lord does. Friends may give up on us, but our one true friend, Jesus, our Savior, our God, never gives up on us. We may look at someone whose life is in shambles and say, it's not worth the effort anymore. But God never leaves us nor forsakes us. God does all He can to correct us and to love us and encourage us and cheer us when we're down. God's not only with us through the good times, but when the bad times come in our life as well. I want you to see the third point here, that God will never abandon us in our time of need. He says, I will never leave thee, nor forsake thee. Nor is that negative, those two negative words, "ume." God will never, no never, no never forsake us. That word forsake means to abandon, to leave, to desert to leave helpless, utterly forsaken. You know, when mom and dad may leave you, maybe that's been where you've been at some point in time. For some of us, our parents are in heaven. They've left us. You know, sometimes when people go through those, those times, at times of grief, there's those one of those steps of grief. How could they do that to me? They shouldn't have left me so soon. But may I share with you that your God will never leave you. He'll always be there for you. God will not abandon us. He will not leave us helpless. Though at times he doesn't always respond to us as quickly. Or in the manner that we think that he should. Consider Jesus' cry on the cross. In Matthew chapter 15, verse 34, and at the ninth hour, Jesus cried with a loud voice saying, Eloi, Eloi, lama sabbathani, which is being interpreted, my God, my God, why hast thou forsaken me? Had God the Father forsaken his son at that crucial hour? Some Bible scholars say that's exactly what, Jesus, what happened. The, the Father looked at the Son. All the sin was placed upon the Son because God cannot look on, on, on uh, evil he could not look on his son and he turned his back on his son. That is not what that, that portion is teaching. You have to look at all the scriptures together, not some, some contrived thought of man. John 10:30, Jesus said, I and my father are what? One. 1 John 5, 7, For there are three that bear record in heaven, the Father, the Word, and the Holy Ghost, and these three are one. John 8, 29, And Jesus said, And he that sent me is with me. The Father hath not left me alone. For I do always those things that please him. So then what does that mean? My God, my God, why hast thou forsaken me? the Father didn't The Father didn't turn his back on his son, but he didn't choose to deliver him, because in his plan... He would receive greater glory by the shedding of his son's blood for man's sins. He would be buried and raised again. Was the father with Jesus through this time? Absolutely. Was it a hard thing to go through? Yes. But Jesus' death was not the end. He rose victorious. Praise God for that. Because he lives, we too shall live. And we have a hope. God may not always deliver us from the trials of life, but he will be with us through those things. 1 Corinthians 10.13 is a great verse. I love this verse. 1 Corinthians 10.13. Go over there with me if you would. 1 Corinthians 10.13. It says, There hath no temptation, no trial taken you, but such as is common to man. Oh, but pastor, you don't understand what I'm going through. God says, let me just tell you something. The trial you're going through, others have gone through before you. And others are still going through it right now. There hath no temptation taken you, but such is, is common to man. But God is faithful, who will not suffer or allow you to be tempted above that which you are able, but will with the temptation also make a way of escape, that you may be able to bear it. I think of Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego in Daniel chapter number 3, verses 16 through 18. It says, Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego answered and said to the king, remember the king was going to throw them into the fiery furnace that they didn't fall down and worship this golden statue. And they, they said, uh, uh, O Nebuchadnezzar, we are not careful to answer thee in this matter. If it be so, our God, whom we serve, is able to deliver us from the burning, fiery furnace, and, we, and he will deliver us out of thine hand, O king. But if not, if, boy, those are some interesting words. But if not, our God can. You know, God can do anything but fail. But we don't always know what his will is. And they said here, he said, but if not, if God's will is that, you know, for us to go into the fiery furnace, he says, but if not, be it known unto thee, O king, that we will not serve thy gods nor worship the golden image which thou hast set up. Remember, they went into the fire, they threw them into the fire, and they were supposed to be killed, but the two men that threw them in, they, they were killed. And they went around walking around inside, and they're, all their chains fell, you know, they're, they're, they were bound, and their clothes and everything. All that fell off, and they're in there walking around, and the other person who's there with them is the Lord. And Nebuchadnezzar says, hey, man, didn't we throw three guys in here? And he said, yeah, but there's, he says, I see four walking. And the fourth one is like the Son of God. What was the result? What was the result? God wasn't going to leave him nor forsake him. Daniel 3.27 says this, Then Nebuchadnezzar spake and said, Blessed be the God of Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego, who has sent his angel and delivered his servants that trusted in him and have changed the king's word and yielded their bodies that they might not serve nor worship any god except their own god. Therefore, I make a decree that every people, nation, and language which speak anything amiss against the God of Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego shall be cut in pieces, and their houses shall be made a dunghill, because there is no other God that can deliver after this sort than the king promoted Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego in the province of Babylon. Oh, My God is able to do exceedingly abundantly above all that we ask or think. The more we read and study the Bible, the more that we understand God's ways. In the very hour of your tragedy, your God is there ready to help. I will not forsake you. I will not forsake you. In the hour of your greatest heartache, your God is there to lift you up. 2 Corinthians chapter 1, verses 3 and 4. Blessed be the God, even the Father of our Lord Jesus Christ the Father of mercies and the God of all comfort who comforteth us in all our tribulation. Not in just some, but in all. That we may be able to comfort them which are in any trouble by the comfort wherewith we ourselves are comforted of God. When we walk through the valley of the shadow of death, we don't need to fear evil. Like the psalmist David said, for thou art with me. When your friends and your family forsake you, your God will not forsake you. I will never leave you nor forsake you. When all hope is vanished, and there seems no reason to carry on, when it seems as if no one cares, the Lord Jesus said, I'll never leave you nor forsake you. Casting all your care upon him, for he careth for you. Dear friend, you're not alone in this life. Our Savior, the Lord Jesus Christ and our God, is right there with you. He'll never leave you. He's not going to give you up and let you sink nor forsaken or abandon you. Six-year-old Brandon decided one Saturday morning that he was going to make pancakes for mom and dad. He found a big bowl and a big spoon and he went up on the counter and got up where the flour was and the container that was on the shelf and he got the flour down and the flour kind of spilled out and it fell on the floor, but he reached into the container and he got some of the flour and he put it in the big bowl. And then he scooped out with his hands, I said, that flour and he took a little bit cup of milk and he added some sugar and But he was leaving a flowery mess all over the place, and they had a little cat, so they had little white footprints all over the place because the cat was helping itself. Brandon saw that as he turned to do something else, he, he saw that the little cat was now looking out of the bowl and so he went to go swipe the cat and swish the cat away and he knocked over all the eggs and the eggs fell onto the floor and cracked all over the place. So here he stands in this flower and this eggs and all this mess and guess who walks to the door? It's Daddy. He saw his Daddy in the door. He thought, I'm in trouble now tears started streaming down his face. He was wanting just to do something good for his mom and his dad. But it was a mess. It turned out all wrong. He thought, you know what, I'm going to get spanking for sure. But his his father watched as he looked at all this mess. And the dad went across the flour and the mess on the floor with the eggs and he picked up his son and he was getting messy as well. But he loved him and he thanked him for trying to do something great. You know, that's how God deals with us. We try to do something good in our life, but it turns out to be a mess. Our marriage gets all sticky and or we insult some person and or, or, or we can't stand our job, or our health goes a, a, a sour. Sometimes we just stand there in our mess and our tears, and that's when God comes over and He picks us up, and He loves on us and lets us know it's going to be okay, folks. Just because. We mess up now and again. We can't stop trying to make pancakes for God and for others. Sooner or later, we'll get it right. For some of us, it takes a little longer, doesn't it? Perhaps you've heard about Jesus. You don't know anything about Jesus, but I'm going to tell you something tonight. There's a Savior who loves you. Your life may be a mess. Oh, but He can take that messed up life. And if you'll just put your life in His hands, He'll take you and He'll start putting the pieces together. And He'll bring order out of all that chaos. God can do what we cannot do on our own. The Lord said, I'll never leave you nor forsake you. Hey, there's no better time than the present. Let the Lord take control of your life.